premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired and preserved Word of God, the King James Bible, as our final authority. This is the Sword of the Spirit podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Rusiello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello, and it is great to be with you once again as we open up and study the Word of God. My prayer for you this morning is that wherever you are, whenever you are, and on whatever platform you're listening to us on, you find yourself in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, before we get into the Bible study this morning, please visit our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com, and go to our contact sec- section, and why don't you just send us a message? Uh, you know, whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, any questions or comments, especially prayer requests, I would love to hear from you guys. Uh, and if you don't like to use those web forms, you know what, that's fine. I don't like using those web forms either. So you can email me directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com, and I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can. And while you're on the website, look for the Support This Podcast button. And if the Lord leads you to do so, please consider supporting this ministry. We've set the contribution amounts for $0.99, cents, $4.99, and $9.99 per month. You know, folks, I am not good at asking for support. So all I'm going to say is, if you want to help support this ministry in getting the gospel out, in helping us to expand, in keeping the lights on, and the servers running, and everything else that we have to do to, to make this happen, please consider a monthly contribution, and, and we will really thank you for it. And I'd also like to say thank you to all of our current supporters who support us both financially and prayerfully, and to all of our listeners Thank you so much for being faithful and for tuning in week after week. Now, if you're in the Eagle Pass area and you're looking for a good King James Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, why don't you give us a visit at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass. Our Sunday school hour starts at 10 a.m., our worship service begins at 11 a.m., and our Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Wednesday night service, uh, Bible study, at 7 p.m. Just... uh, just go to Facebook.com, search for for our church's Facebook page, First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass, and uh, you can find out more information about us there. Um, you know, you'll also find episodes of this podcast and tons of other information uh, that's on there about our pastor, about our folks there. So it's really it's a well-run page, and I want to thank uh, Sister Ruby for running that page and anybody else that's involved in the administration of it. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. Um, you know, as far as finding this podcast on the page, you could also find this podcast elsewhere. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, and now, as of last week, Amazon Music, which we're really excited about. So wherever you're listening, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and your followers, and help us spread the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's really, really important. So now I want to uh, just go over a couple of announcements with you guys, just... Um, just some quick things, just some reminders. Uh, for those of you that might have forgotten or may not have known, June 19th is Father's Day. And so at 2 p.m., we will be having a special Father's Day episode that we're going to try to do live uh, on Spreaker. And we'll have, a, uh, we'll have a, a reader 
a reader, I'm sorry, will have a player on our uh, website homepage so that you can listen in live or you can listen in live on Spreaker.com. Uh, just go to our website, find the Spreaker tab, t- tap that, and it'll take you right to us. Um, so if we can't do it on, if we can't do it as a live recording, it'll be uploaded by 5 p.m. on that Sunday, June 19th. And also, June 26th, I'll be preaching at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass at 6 p.m. So if you're in the area and you'd like to come by and, 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 uh, and visit us, you're more than welcome to do so. And, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about prayer requests. I uh, would love to get some prayer requests from you guys. Um, I have a few here right now that we're going to go over right now. Um, we want to continue to pray for Bernice and for Adam. Uh, Sister Bernice and Brother Adam are members of our church, First Baptist Church. And uh, Bernice has been uh, fighting cancer for quite some time. And Adam, her husband, has been has been such a, a help to her and taking care of her and the kids and, and also, of course, working and, and doing all the things that he needs to do to help the family. Uh, so we want to continue to pray for Bernice and for Adam. She, Bernice is doing much better now. Uh, it was a little rocky at start, but uh, praise the Lord that you know, she's gotten through that rough stage and, and things seem to be getting better. Uh, we also want to pray for uh, Pastor Martin for his health. Pastor Arthur Martin is a pastor from um, Ohio, and he is my pastor's pastor. And um, and so we want to pray for Pastor Martin and his health. You know, Pastor Martin's an, an incredible, incredible man, uh, really. Uh, he is advanced in, in years, um, and yet he still has a desire and a heart to serve the Lord. He still reads his Bible every day. He still, he still street preaches every chance he gets. And uh, he really is truly just uh, an inspiration to me and, and to, I'm sure, anybody else that he comes in contact with. So we want to continue to pray for Pastor Martin and for his health. Uh, we want to pray for my mom, uh, for her salvation first and foremost, but also for her health. Uh, my mom is 76, and she's dealing with several health issues. Uh, so we want to pray for her. We also want to pray for my sister, for her salvation. Uh, we want to pray for my granddaughter, for her salvation. And then I have a friend back in New York whose name is David, and we want to pray for his salvation. I've known David for many, many, many years. I think I met David when I was about 12, maybe 13 years old. And after I got saved in July of 2000, uh, you know, I tried giving the, gave it the gospel many times, but uh, he's rejected it, and he just rejected it again recently. So, But we still want to continue to pray for him. You know, you don't give up. We continue to pray. Uh, we also want to pray for my in-laws for their salvation. And you know what? That that's how you really know someone's saved. Okay, when they want to pray for their in-laws to get saved. No, I'm I'm kidding, of course, but but definitely want to pray for the in-laws um, for their salvation. Salvation's the most important thing you can do in this life, and the most important thing you can deal with in this life is your salvation. So we want to pray for them. And then uh, and then there's a woman Cynthia that we like to pray for for her health and. Um, uh, we want to continue to pray for her that uh, the Lord would just touch her and uh, and, and give her grace and and, uh, and comfort while she deals with her health problems. So, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for all these on our prayer list. And, Lord, we want to pray for those that are uh, suffering with health problems. And, Lord, we want to pray that you would touch them and bring healing to their body. And then, Lord, for those that uh, are in need of salvation, Father, the most important thing is salvation. And we just pray that you would touch them that you would work in their lives, and, Lord, that you would bring them to the cross of Jesus Christ and they would accept that free gift of salvation through the shed blood of your precious Son. And, Father God, we thank you for it all, and we ask you to bless this time that we're going to spend together in Bible study. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. All right, folks, so we're going to take a short break. And uh, while we're on that break, why don't you go get your King James Bible, grab yourself a cup of coffee or a bottle of water. And when we come back, we're going to be getting into today's Bible study on science falsely so-called. Stay with us. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. All right, folks, welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Once again, this is Brother Joe Ruscello. And uh, what you just heard, I played it before. Uh, that was something, I had my Bible rebound recently. And uh, inside the Bible, when they sent it back, was that was a little card that had that, uh, that dialogue written out on it. And I loved it. I really did. And, and it, it really touched my heart. So we had it made into that, uh, that audio clip. And uh, it's it's really a blessing. Now, uh, if you haven't figured it out yes, yet, uh, I am a blood-bought, born-again, King James Bible-believing Christian. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that at some point in my life, I gave my, my heart, my soul, my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I asked him to forgive my, my wretched sins, and I asked him to save my soul. And I believe that he did. And then once he did that, he put his word in my heart. And uh, I believe that that word is the, is found in the wonderfully preserved and inspired and perfect King James Bible. And uh, I have a message on here in the archives that you can find. It's called uh, Why the King James Bible. And uh, I would encourage you to go look for it and look it up. But yes, I do believe that the King James Bible is the perfectly preserved and inspired word of God for us in the English language. So as we get into our study this morning, go grab your King James Bible. Uh, if you don't, you're going to find there's a lot of differences in some of the texts that we're going to be reading, including this one. And uh, take your Bible and open up to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter number 6. But of course, before we start, let's take a moment to seek the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we approach your sacred scriptures today, we do so with the recognition that this is the truth that we have the truth before us, inspired and preserved of you. 
and this and this is all that really matters and that everything else that we believe and everything else that matters must subscribe and conform to what saith the scriptures if we're going to be right and correct and god we want to be right we want to be correct we want to know the truth because your word says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free lord we want to be a free people not only politically but we want to be free in our minds free in our thinking and we thank you that you have given us freedom in the word of god help us to believe it and god we pray for the soul that's listening today that that may still be in the chains and the bondage of sin and that never sought the release and f- the freedom that comes from the shed blood of the lord jesus christ may they seek that and may they receive that today the ultimate freedom and we'll thank you for it in the blessed name of our savior jesus christ amen amen so uh, some years ago, uh, there was a series of emails that were released that uh, kind of blew the cover off the whole anthropomorphic global warming hoax and exposed it for the junk science that it really is. Uh, and uh, I'm sure some of you remember that. Um, I had actually been following uh, this event in the mainstream media, and, and the government said little to nothing about this mess that some of our tax dollars funded. And the interesting thing is that nobody was fired, and pretty much all they did was get a slap on the hand and off they went, and they morphed anthropomorphic global warming into global climate change, and uh, then they ended up performing more bad science. Now, what is God's attitude about science? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 20, the Apostle Paul says this to his young ministerial protege, Timothy. He says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings, and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. Now, it's interesting that Paul categorizes this false science and oppositions of false science with profane and vain babblings. And we're going to discover some, some vain and profane babblings today that false science professes. Now, I want to emphasize that God is not, God is not opposed to science. Good, real science. Because in Daniel we read that Daniel was a scientist. And the word is even used in Daniel. He was a man of science, of knowledge and understanding. Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a scientist, particularly in the area of horticulture. He was a horticulturist. Solomon was a scientist. He looked into the things of nature and and, uh, described many events. For example, Solomon was one of the first to put down on paper and describe for us the process of evaporation. Did you know that? He said, look to the ants. And we've learned a great deal about life and the instructions of life by studying the ants like Solomon did. There are many people in the Bible that were scientists with a God-endorsed certification upon them, you know, if you please. Uh, So God has never nor ever will be opposed to science. Never. Now, I believe this, and and I'm a little bit of a religious wacko. I understand that. I realize this. And I'm a fanatic. But I believe that the answers to all science are in the Bible. Now, I don't profess to know exactly where they all are, but I just know they're in there. For example, I I know that if you really want to be healthy, you should study the foods that God endorses. I think there's medical merit in figs. And do you know why I think that? Well, Hezekiah was dying with a serious boil. And God told Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 38, God told Isaiah to tell him to make a plaster of figs and put it on the thing. 
So I think there's something about figs. If I were a scientist, I would study figs. But I'm not a scientist, so I'll probably never study them. If I were, I'd put a fig under every kind of microscope and test that you could probably come up with. In the Bible, a palm tree is the picture of the righteous. I would study palm trees. In the Bible, a green bay tree is a picture of the wicked. Psalm 37. If I wanted an antidote for cancer or something else that was invasive to the body, I'd study green bay trees. If I were a scientist, I would study the Bible. I'm not a scientist, but I study the Bible anyway, right? Yeah, just for different reasons. Now, we've had crammed down our throats for the last century that the earth is millions and probably billions of years old. And we are, and all around us, is just a product of evolution. Now, the whole, you know, go green and global warming, climate change thing is just a sidebar to all of that. That's not really the issue here because the people that want to that, that want so zealously and they do they, they approach it like a religious like religious zealots and the thing that's important to them is that according to Romans chapter one we learn by degrees to, to worship creation more than the creator that's the, that's the design that's the grand plan that's in place and so we go about teaching our children in schools all across America that they're the product of evolution. And that uh, this has to be just a process of millions and, and perhaps billions of years. Now, evolu evolutionists generally use five different methods to determine the age of matter. All right. The first one they use is salt content in the ocean. The second one is the deposition of sediments. The third one is the rate of soil erosion. The fourth one is the disintegration of radioactive material. And the fifth one is Libby's carbon-14 experiment. Now, there are problems with all of these methods, particularly if you figure into the equation a universal flood that took place about 4,500 years ago. Because all of those things are predicated on the idea that atmospheric conditions on the Earth have been relatively constant. But if there was, in fact, a, a universal flood, and there is overwhelming evidence and facts that there was, then the atmospheric conditions on the Earth have not always been constant and have not always been the same. However, there is a sixth method of determining the age of matter, and that method is largely ignored. The sixth method is the study of half-lives. Half-lives. Now, let me explain how that works. You have a man driving down the road in his car, and all of a sudden his odometer quits working. And so it's no longer telling him how many miles he's gone from, from this point to that point. Well, what's he going to do? Well, if he knows how many miles per gallon he gets in his car and he gets to a gas station and he fills up and then he equates how far he's gone by how many gallons it took to fill up, dividing that by miles per gallon, you come up with a simple mathematical equation. That's a very simple approach to the study of half-life. Now, there are several things that enter into the picture that need to be examined from that standpoint. For example... How big was the sun? You know, the sun is very relevant to Bible and Bible terminology. Interestingly, in, Matthew, in Malachi chapter 4, God compares himself to the sun. It's a fascinating subject. It really is. It's a fascinating subject. And, and just, just an interesting little sidebar. Did you know that there are three rays that emanate from the sun? They're the alpha ray, the beta ray, and the gamma ray. One can be felt and not seen. One can be seen and not felt, and one cannot be felt or seen. Yet there are three distinct rays that emanate from the same source, 
That's why God compares himself to the Son, because God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all coming from the same place. Three different personalities doing three different things emanating from the same source. Now, the Son is continuously burning at a rate of five feet per hour. That's what science tells us. So let's take their numbers. Okay? So in other words, it's reducing itself about five feet per hour. You following along? That means that the sun decreases over 43,000 feet in size per year. That's eight miles per year, or about 800 miles per century. Now, if you're factoring that in over just five or 6,000 years, it's not really a big deal when you consider the size of the sun. But over 100,000 years ago, the sun would have been twice its current size. And that's just studying the half-life. And by the way, do you know why forensic science has been one of the most accurate sciences? It's because that's what they do. They study the half-life. They call on the forensic ex experts and they ask them, well, when did this person die? We need to have a timeline. We need to solve this crime. Well, how do they do that? They study the rate of the decay of the body. They know how fast a body decays, how fast it degenerates after death, and then they factor all those things in, and that's how they get it. So applying this science to the size of the sun, we find that it would have been twice the size 100,000 years ago. Now, this alone would destroy the gravitational balance, which keeps the Earth at just the right distance from the sun. Now, let's look back 20 million years ago. I mean, that's what they're always telling us, right? They, you know, they tend to fling these arbitrary figures around 20 million, 40 million, several billion. Well, let's just go back 20 million years and... and and, uh, and simple mathematics tells us that the sun would have been large enough to touch the earth. 20 million years ago, the sun would have been large enough to touch it and to burn it to a crisp. But nevertheless, evolutionists expect us to believe that the universe is billions of years old. Well, what are we going to do with that? Well, let's take our Bibles and turn over to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I submit to you that the recent events within the climate studies community is an example of a world that's jam-packed with false science. I'm for good science. I really am. I don't want you to misunderstand. I, I am for good science. Paul told Timothy to stay away from science falsely so-called. He didn't say to stay away from science altogether. He said you stay away from false science. I mean, can I really depend on science to tell me how old the world is when they can't even predict the weather two days from now? I mean, did you ever study a seven-day forecast? I mean, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And that's supposed to be based upon good science. You know, they stand up there with all their arrows and their maps, and by the time they get done, you think, well, it's got to be that way. But honestly, it almost never is. Science falsely so-called. Has science accomplished a lot? Yes, indeed, it has. Are we thankful for good science? Absolutely. Sure we are. You bet we are. But let's beware of science falsely so-called. All right, Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at verse 14. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and, and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night 
and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Now, this is the Bible record of God's creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars, and, and all the billions of stars. You know, they tell us that there are, there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy. And then they tell us that there are probably another 100 billion galaxies out there. And do you know how God consolidates that whole act of creation? In one tiny little postscript. Oh, by the way, he made the stars also. No big deal. I mean, wow, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's the way God treats it, though. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's see what God has to say about the conclusion of the universe as we know it. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, let's look at verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto the fire of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Look down at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So do you know what God's going to do with this whole mess? Well, he's going to burn it up. There isn't going to be enough to to fry a French fry when God gets done with it. I mean, he's just going to fry it. Look, look over in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And I just want you to follow the logical sequence of this. We see the creation of it. We see the destiny of it. And then finally, we see the replacement of it. You see, God's not really so tweaked about what we do with this earth as a lot of people are because basically God says, well, I'm just going to burn it up anyway. Revelation 21 and verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. That's God's destiny for the universe as we know it. So how big was the sun? Well, what about interplanetary dust? What about interplanetary dust? You know, due to meteors and meteorites, it's believed that interplanetary dust accumulated on the earth at a rate of about 14 million tons per year. That's what they tell us. 14 million tons of dust per year, primarily due to meteors and meteorites flying around. Now, if the universe is 14.5 billion years old, as many evolutionists claim and speculate, then there should be over 500 feet of space dust on the Earth. 500 feet. I mean, that's quite a heap, don't you think? And by the way, before man landed on the moon, many scientists feared that astronauts would sink into hundreds of feet of dust. Isaac Asimov in Science Digest in January 1959 page 36 said this and this was this was about the time that russia was sending its first satellite into space you know you know sputnik uh then we ended up sending one up and it started the whole space race but here's what isaac asimov said quote i get a picture therefore of the first spaceship picking out a nice level place for landing purposes he's speaking of the moon coming in slowly downward tail first and sinking majestically out of sight. That's what he thought was going to happen when we landed on the moon. And that's because they equated that thing mathematically back 4.5 billion years, and they said that if we, if we were accumulating that much space dust here on the Earth, 
then the moon has to be accumulating a similar amount of space dust. And therefore, there has to be about 500 feet of space dust there. Well, when they actually landed on the moon, they found approximately one inch of space dust. Just one inch. So simple mathematics says 6,000 years. You know, how come the high school science teachers don't tell the kids about that? How come you don't hear about that on the Discovery Channel? How come? Could it be because they're pursuing a religion of humanism? A religion of worshiping the creation or the creature more than the creator? Is that what it is? Well, did you ever hear of Sirius, the red star? How about that one? Sirius, the red star. Modern scientists who believe in evolution teach that at least 100,000 years are required for a red giant star to change into a white dwarf. Now, that's astronomy talk. Okay, Sirius is clearly a white dwarf today. But only 2,000 years ago, astronomers recorded Sirius as a red star. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. The encyclopedia says... The sun is destined to perish as a white dwarf. This is a quote. The sun is destined to perish as a white dwarf, but before that happens, it will evolve into a red giant engulfing Mercury and Venus in the process. And at the same, at the same time, it will blow away the Earth's atmosphere and boil its oceans, making the planet uninhabitable. None of these events will come to pass locally for several billion years. Now, if... If this process takes several billion years, then how did Sirius evolve from a red giant to a white dwarf in only 2,000 years? How did that happen? Or how about the moon? How far to the moon? You know, the moon is very critical in studying your Bible and understanding things because, interestingly, in Song of Solomon chapter 6, the moon in the Bible, in Bible language, is a type of the church. And there are some very significant reasons for that. Uh, You know, the moon gives no light of itself. And by the way, it took astronomers until about the 18th century to figure that out. They always thought that it generated its own light, and then they finally came to the conclusion that Job stated, Job, the oldest book in your Bible, the first book ever written in your Bible, the book of Job says, and remind, remember, the book of Job was probably written some 4,500 years ago. The book of Job says, the moon giveth no light of itself. Chapter 25 and verse 5. And it took them, scientists, until the 18th century to figure out that the moon gives no light of itself, that it simply reflects the light of the sun. And that's all the moon does. And when you get the world between the sun and the moon, you get a lunar eclipse, right? That's what the Bible says. Well, that's, what the, that's why the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. First John 2.15 We ought not to allow the world to get between us and our light source, the sun, which is God. So how far to the moon? Each year they tell us that the moon recedes a few inches away from the earth. Just a few inches. Now, going back a few thousand years, that would put the moon less than one mile closer to the earth. No big deal in the grand scale of things, right? 250,000 miles 6,000 years ago, the moon was one mile closer than it is now. Now, calculating back over 4.5 billion years, the moon would have been so close to the earth that the tides would have eroded away the continents. The study of half-life. 
How do you deal with that? Well, they say, well, we're just objective. Really? Well, how about we tell the whole story? And before we go on to the next point, we're going to take a short break here. And when we come back, we'll pick it up with the Earth's magnetic field. This is the Sword of the Spirit podcast, and this is Brother Joe Rusiello, and we'll be right back. Hey folks, welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Brother Joe Rusiello. We're studying science, falsely so-called, 
and uh, we're also discussing half-lifes, half-lifes. And we left off uh, talking about the Earth's magnetic field. And uh, the, uh, the interesting thing about the Earth's magnetic field is that the, the half-life of Earth's magnetic field is believed to be about 1,400 years. That is that 1,400 years ago, our magnetic field was twice as strong as it is now. Less than 100,000 years ago, the magnetic field would have been stronger than the sun. Imagine what it would have been like 4.5 billion years ago. Well, what about population? How about the population problem? You know, they tell us that there are approximately 8 billion people on the planet today. All of a sudden, there, there are people that are alarmed about that because everyone knows with simple mathematics that you can reach 12 billion in a relatively short period of time. Now, if you played with the numbers and you had somebody ask you if you would rather have someone give you a million dollars or someone give you a penny and double it every day, I think you would know the answer and take the penny. Amen? Because it wouldn't take long before you had more than a million dollars. It's simple multiplication. And that's the way populations grow. Now, 8 billion people on the earth, a number which could easily be reached within just a few thousand years. Since 1900, the earth's population has risen from about 3 billion to 8 billion. So, in other words, in the last 100 to 120-something years, the population of the earth has more than doubled. The bigger the numbers get, the faster it grows. That doesn't mathematically work out if you go back 100,000 years or 20 million years or a few billion years. Do you see the problem? The problem is there would be more people than we could begin to calculate for or provide for. And by the way, if you go back even 6,000 years, factoring in wars and famines and natural catastrophes and high mortality rates, if you factor all that in and go back 6,000 years, you have a population on the earth that should be right now about 20 billion people. But you see, according to the Bible, 4,500 years ago, there was a universal flood. God started over 4,500 years ago with just eight people. Figuring all of those things that we just mentioned into the formula, 8 billion works out just about right from the number 8 over 4,500 years ago. So how are you going to answer the population problem if you don't believe the Bible? Well, what about the spin cycle? The spin cycle of the earth is gradually slowing down. Everybody knows about a spin cycle if you have a washing machine, right? The earth spins, doesn't it? That's what they tell us anyway. That's why we have sunrise and that's why we have a sunset. Science tells us that the spin cycle of the earth is gradually slowing down. So that means that it has historically spun faster, right? Now, the further back you calculate, the faster the earth is spinning. A few thousand years back, it doesn't present a problem. But a few million? You take that back 20 million years? Do you know what you would have had? You would have had a planet spinning so fast that it would have spun itself as flat as a pancake. Well, how do you figure that? How do you figure that? Do you think that we as Americans have been subjected to so much science, falsely so-called, that we've just kind of put the thing on autopilot and we believe more than we know in our logical mind that we even should? Now, let me go back to the weatherman as an example again. All my senses of logic, reasoning, and past experience tell me that the very best that what the weather guy can do is maybe give me a two-day forecast at, at best, all right, at best. 
And we've all seen a bunch of those blow up, haven't we? And even though I know that, and even though every fiber of my logical being knows that, I'll still sit there and watch that seven-day forecast. I'll watch it. Ooh, look, next week is going to be great. Oh, wow, I can't wait. Then I kind of have to jerk myself in and say, hey, look, stupid. You know, They don't have any idea of what they're talking about. Could it be that we have just heard this thing rehearsed over and over and over again? You know, National Geographic puts on a program, and, and they never miss an opportunity, and they always slide it in. And so we see the deposition of the sediment here about 20 million years ago. And we have the dinosaurs here a few billion years ago. And we just hear it over and over and over. And our mind just kind of slips into autopilot pilot, and we kind of become like, uh-huh. I mean, do you know what Hitler said? Hitler said, I don't care if you tell a lie. If you tell it long enough and often enough, the majority of the people will believe it. So let me give you another couple of considerations before we wrap this thing up. If the Earth is 4.5 billion years old, then why does the ocean floor sediment only account for a few thousand years? The oldest living coral reef is less than 4,200 years old. And that, this makes perfect sense when you take into account the fact that the Genesis flood occurred somewhere around 4,400 to 4,500 years ago and would have killed all such life. The oldest living trees in the world are the bristlecone pines of the desert mountains of California and Nevada. Why can't someone find an older tree? Maybe it's because the Genesis flood washed out all the trees less than 5,000 years ago. Why are the oldest actual historical records less than 6,000 years old if human beings like us, you know, Homo sapiens, have been on the earth over 100,000 years as evolutionists teach? The longest known recorded human history is 5,600 years old. A biblical creationist has no problem with only 6,000 years of records because this is precisely the amount of time accounted for in the Bible. But how can an evolutionist explain this? Scientists generally agree that the comets are as old as our solar system. They agree on that. The dissolution process of short-term comets demands that they will be totally dissipated in about 10,000 years. So then how could they be billions of years old if they dissipate in, in 10,000 years? The apples don't match the apples. <laughs> it's an apples and oranges situation. They say that comets are as old as the universe. All right, tell me, Professor, how long does it take for a comet to dissipate? About 10,000 years. Well, how old is the universe? About 4.5 billion years old. You know something? I don't want to buy a used car from a guy like that. You know? Many other examples can be offered too. The evidence is just over... The, the evidence is overwhelming in support of a young universe and a universal flood as the Bible declares. Those who claim otherwise, regardless of their education, are just living in a fantasy land, a dream world. They're, they're trying desperately to make a God out of something other than who and what God really is. Well, why is that? Why is that? Well, let's think. If I can make a God out of the forest, the lynx, the hoot owl, the fish, or whatever in the world there is, then I have a God of no accountability. I don't have to be accountable to a fox or an owl or a tree. There's no accountability there. When you think of it, it's the perfect religion, right? I can do whatever I want to do, and I'm not accountable to anyone or anything. There's no judgment. There's no accountability. There's no day when I will have to give an account of my works, whether they be good or whether they be bad, according to the Word of God. 
Just write it off. It's perfect. Don't you see that that has an immense appeal to a lot of people because they've already purposed in their hearts to do what they want to do. And the thought of a holy and a righteous and a pure and an eternal God that'll hold every human being accountable one day is a terrifying thought beyond the dimensions of what many even want to deal with or subscribe to. They think that if they can just create this new religion in the name of science with the endorsement and certification of science on it, then we'll get them. I like science. I appreciate science. And I appreciate the fact that the Bible is a scientific book. You know, we're not like a lot of religions that reject all science. You know, some folks say, well, we can't allow anyone to have a blood transfusion. Well, we wouldn't buy into that. Leviticus chapter 17 says three times in one chapter, the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's good science. They tell us that the biggest problem in the Civil War field operation was not so much the amputation of the torn ragged limbs and the sewing them up. It was the infection and gangrene that followed the surgery. A great deal of that infection was caused because the surgeons in those days would wash their hands in a bowl of water. Then they'd operate and they'd wash their hands again in the same bowl of water. They just kept on stirring the same bacteria and washing their hands in that and then passing the bacteria from one patient to the next. You know, it wasn't until World War I that one smart guy that was probably reading the Bible said, you know, you need to wash your hands under running water. If you wash your hands under running water, then the possibility of getting clean is far greater. And do you know what the book of Leviticus says? The book of Leviticus is one of the oldest books in your Bible. It says, if you want to get clean, wash in running water. In the Dark Ages, when the Black Plague swept through medieval Europe, do you know, what they, do you know who they blamed? They blamed the Jews. Do you know why they blamed the Jews? Very few of the Jews were afflicted with the same plague that the general population was. Well, we know why the Jews weren't afflicted with it. It was because they subscribed to sanitary living as prescribed in the Old Testament that the general population didn't. In other words, they just listened to God's science. Just through common sense things. I mean, evolution isn't even common sense. Not when you study the facts. Why is it being jammed down our throats with such religious fervor? Could it be that someone sat and reasoned that if we could just do away with God as the Bible presents him, that we could do what we want to do? Whatever we want to do? Folks, you can depend on God's word to provide you with the real answers of life. The Bible will tell you who you are. The Bible will tell you where you came from. The Bible will tell you why you're here. The Bible will even tell you why you occasionally suffer and where you're going to go when you die. Evolution can tell you none of those things. And you know something? You need to know all of those things. Who are you? Where are you? Why are you here? Why do bad things happen to people? Where are you going when you die? You know, thank God for the word of God. Let me ask you this. Do you know where you're going when you die? Are you prepared to meet God? The God of the Bible? The God of truth? The God of righteousness? You could know right now. You could know today at this moment. All you need to do is bow your head and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you.
because it's his shed blood and his shed blood alone that can save you. No good work, not going to church, not baptism, not eating a cookie. None of that can save you. Not praying to the saints or praying to Mary. None of that can save you. Only the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and putting your full faith, trust, and confidence in that. That's all it is. And all you have to do is bow your head and just say to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I'm on my way to hell. But Lord, I put my full faith, trust, and confidence in you and I trust in the shed blood on the cross of Calvary, your precious blood, your precious sinless blood to save me. And if you would do that, if you would do that, you could know right now that you're saved, that you'd be saved. Well, folks, that's all the time that we have for today. I just want to say thank you so much to all of you that have, that have tuned in and have been listening. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. And uh, go to our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Fill out that contact us form. Let us know what you think. Or email me directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you guys. And until we meet again next time, may God bless you. And have a great, great day. Take care. You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, visit our website at swordofthespiritpodcast.com and send us a message. Or email us directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you and good day. Well, that's about it, really. The film ends mainly visually.